If you go to church and you're around people and you look to a pastor, you look to a youth pastor, a priest, a spiritual leader, and then they have some moral fall or they just, aside from like a moral fall, they lose themselves in this sort of like insanity of the culture war and they start saying terrible and crazy things, it's extremely disorienting. And it is very much understandable for anybody that's experienced that to go, I don't want to be here because I don't find meaning here. Thanks for listening to Deep Talks. I'm your host, Paul Hanleitner. Today's episode is part two of my conversation with two Gen Z YouTubers who had read my new book and brought me onto their channels for a discussion about how the problem of evil and suffering uniquely affects their generation's willingness to trust the Christian story. If you haven't listened to part one yet, I highly recommend it. Go back, give that one a listen. In today's episode, we focus more on the challenge for those in the next generation who are interested in the Christian story, but struggle with the moral evils they see happening in Christian communities. If Gen Z is even going to try connecting to a church, what should they even be looking for? Special thanks to the two wonderful interviewers, Jake Marlowe and Hunter, a.k.a. Theocracy. You can check out their YouTube channels in the description below. Also, for those of you who support my work on Patreon, you can watch the video of this interview, participate in the discussion forum for this episode, and get access to a bonus Q&A episode not included in part one or two of this short series. Your support on Patreon is what keeps this podcast ad-free, so please consider becoming one of the 200 supporters needed to keep my work going in 2023. I've got a lineup of several wonderful guests to start the year coming up over the next few episodes, as well as some ideas for some exciting new projects beyond the scope of this podcast that I hope to be able to share more about with you in the very near future. But again, if this is a podcast that you listen to regularly and see it as adding value to your life and the life of others, would you consider clicking the link in the description below and supporting it on Patreon? Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to all of you. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Uh, some of the big barriers that's keeping uh, Gen Z folks out of the faith Number one is the problem of evil and suffering that they can't seem to uh, they can't seem to reconcile the idea that a good loving God would allow so much pain and suffering in the world. That's the primary issue at around twenty seven percent ish of total uh, uh, people you know studied. Uh, at number two, and here's where we uh, have this uh, this is relevant to the question. At number two is uh, Christian hypocrisy within the church at around uh, 22%-ish. And so let's look at, let's just assume some of the generalities that get thrown around on the internet uh, that I've perceived and Jake can uh, confirm as to whether or not these, he thinks these perceptions are accurate. Um, that the church seems to be a source of this pain and chaos that when we as saintly Gen Zers are, as you said earlier, very active, we all into our activism, what have you, and chasing after essentially a upward curve into progress. And it seems as though that 
there is a way of achieving that, that if we were all to cooperate and, you know, not be racist and sexist and what have you, that we could actually achieve a kind of uh, utopia. And, oh, wouldn't that be lovely? But the church, oh boy, seems to like getting in the way of that when they criticize all your critical race theories and your uh, women in leaderships and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, oh boy, the woke church, the woker, the wokists, and they're really infiltrating and they're going to destroy the church. And we can't allow that. And we can't allow that to happen. So we need to fight back. And that seems to be the perception of how the church behaves. And when my gen, from the, my own perspective, when my generation sees the way the church uh, reacts to all this quote unquote woke, culture when in all reality i don't think any of us know what that actually means definitionally um it seems as though that the actions are incongruent with what we actually learn about the faith when we read say the old testament and the new testament the teachings of jesus the um, that all the cultural crusades culture war just makes us all look like hypocrites mm-hmm. um no i'd be interested in hearing what you uh what you would have to say in light of these statements but the fact that you brought up uh, how churches responded to the george floyd incident um and how that never got reported on that to me gives me some hope and what the answer could be but unfortunately all the responses that we ever heard about on the internet were rarely positive. Hmm. I want to say I'm not I'm not an expert in um, Gen Z, and um, that's probably becoming obvious throughout the course of this, <laughs> this interview. But um, yeah, that's fine. It's what it is. You know, all I have are maybe my anecdotal experiences, and I I was, you know, I was I was a high school theology biblical studies teacher for for years um last time i was in the classroom was 2017 so i i had some experience especially over the last few years of engaging more with you know uh with, with gen z students and noticing this and the two things you brought up were like the problem of evil and you brought up you know political uh, not political you brought up personal moral hypocrisy i think you could probably take those two things and you could probably stamp them on every previous generation for what what are the issues here? That's certainly been my experience as I counseled young people for decades who move into their 20s and then they start to experience a sense of, I hate to use the D word, deconstruction. And when they start dun, doing dun, dun. that, yeah, what are the what are the two likely culprits? It's the problem of evil. It's moral, personal hypocrisy they've seen in the church. And then probably the third, from from my vantage point, has been issues with like faith and science stuff. And so those have been the three biggest things. Those are, those are all under what we might say. Cognitive scientists talk about how there are three fundamental structures to undergirding our sense of, of meaning. Um, and I'm, I'm forgetting the two off the top of my head who co-authored this paper. So I'll forgive me and maybe I can find it and send it to you guys afterwards. Um, this groundbreaking paper back in 2016, and they identified these three, three structures that we support a sense, an individual sense of meaning. First one's coherence. 
So coherence has to do with, is there a discernible, repeatable pattern to reality as I look around? If I can't find a coherent pattern, life feels like it's empty of meaning, which makes a lot of sense. I can't predict the outcomes. It seems random. It seems chaotic. That's where the problem of evil typically enters in, right? Is people, they have this sense of a narrative that guides their life. Let's take it for me. I grew up in a what many people will call like a prosperity gospel context, a word of faith context. And so as even as a young boy, I went to like Benny Hinn crusades and things like that. My parents made me read Kenneth Copeland daily devotionals. So that was the narrative. That was the narrative framework that I inhabited. And I found when I brushed up against instances of suffering where that formula, that faith formula didn't work, that I experienced a sense of dissonance because I thought this isn't coherent. I can't repeat this pattern over and over again. It's not working in this instance, not working in this instance. So that produces a sense of lack of meaning. You have coherence. That's the first structure. Then you have purpose. So purpose has to do with whether there is an overarching telos to life. If we can't discern that, then we feel an emptiness. We feel a sense of um that meaning has been deprived. And then the final category is significance. So you might say life has got a coherent structure. Uh, there's a discernible pattern for life's overarching goal, but you still might feel individually that you play no part in that. That's the problem of significance. You have to have those three. The problem of evil for Gen Z, millennials, Gen Xers cuts against that problem of coherence right? We can't see a coherent pattern. Maybe God doesn't justly govern the world. Maybe God's not good. Maybe he's not all powerful. Maybe there is no God. Undercuts the sense of meaning. The sense of purpose is very difficult to maintain when the people that you've looked to as exemplars, as like moral exemplars, and you said their life looks like a purposeful life and it looks like a significant life. When they fail, it undercuts that. And uh, it's weird because in some sense you might go, well, so what? That person failed. But this isn't like a rational thing. You know, it's not something that we just rationally deduce. It's like we have these, this is to get maybe to Aristotle. The way we get virtues produced in our life is by following the moral exemplars of other virtuous people. That was Aristotle's key for how do you produce virtue? You have to hang around virtuous people. So if you go to church, and you're around people and you look to a pastor, you look to a youth pastor, a priest, a spiritual leader, and then they have some moral fall or they just, aside from like a moral fall, they lose themselves in this sort of like insanity of the culture war and they start saying terrible and crazy things. It's extremely disorienting. And it is very much understandable for anybody that's experienced that to go, I don't want to be here because I don't find meaning here. And yeah. I I just want to affirm, I get that on every level from the story doesn't make sense to seeing firsthand moral failures of leaders that I've trusted. I never, never once, anybody that's seen or experienced anything I've experienced in the church if they go, I don't want anything to do with the church ever again. I never have once gone, well, you're stupid. It's like, no, I, <laughs> I totally get it. I get every single reason. And honestly, people sometimes ask me, well, why are you still doing it? And this is a not a satisfactory answer. It doesn't, might not even be helpful to anybody, 
but it's the honest answer. I have no idea aside from the grace of God, why I'm still here. That, that sounds Christian cliche. It sounds trite. It's literally the only thing I can think of based on so many, so many of the horrible things. So if you're asking me to, to give you like, well, give me a sales pitch for why church is good. I'm not doing a good job at that right now, but I feel like I have to start with going people that feel disillusioned by it have good reasons for it. If we don't start there, then we're not actually going to get to the process of reforming it. So I just want to affirm that for both of you guys and anybody listening. It's like, I've seen terrible stuff. Yeah. And it, yeah, I get it. Yeah. And then you, I think it, it gets even worse when people, you, they're giving the church a second chance or they're thinking about going back. And then you get someone saying like, um, oh, it's like, it wasn't the church's fault that kept you away. It's actually just your love of sin. Um, which just makes it so much worse because it's like, you're ignoring the person. Basically you're ignoring their actual question. Yeah. Yeah. It it reflects a lack of ability to accept culpability for your own actions as a leader. Yeah. And that's, and it's sad when some people, you know, there are instances where that's totally the case, you know, um, people of all ages, they get into patterns of disorder that produces dysfunction. Disorder produces dysfunction. And when they get to that point, it becomes, there is like a fog of deception that just blinds people from seeing the truth. It's difficult. And there are instances like that, but I don't think we're talking about those. You know, I think we're talking about instances where well-intentioned people, nobody is, there's none righteous. So nobody's, nobody's done this thing without sin are going to church. They've grown up in a context and they've seen these failures. Um, to put it back on the person, like the congregant, the lay person in the church, uh, to me, it compounds the hurt. It compounds it. And I understand why people go, I don't want anything to do with that ever again. Could I maybe throw out the hopeful thing about that? Of course. Um, and then you tell me what you think about this. Here was the lifeline for me was realizing that my church experience was not the church and being exposed to options outside of mine. So this is a practical recommendation that I give to people when I'm maybe providing what am I calls like existential or theological counsel, I'm not a clinical counselor. They go, all right, before you leave the Christian story and Christian community of all Christian communities, not just that church that maybe did you really, really wrong before you leave it, get to know what you're leaving, get to know what you're leaving first. And then at the end, after you feel like you've exhausted every resource and you've gone through Outside of your, I'm not even talking your local church, like get outside your denomination. Like I was raised a wild, crazy charismatic. If I stayed only in that context, I would have burnt out. There's so many things about that context I've still retained. I still consider myself a charismatic, but I needed exposure to Eastern Orthodoxy. I needed exposure to the Anglicans. I needed exposure to the Baptists, to the Reformed, to the, even to the, like the angry Calvinist guy out there. I needed exposure to that. I did. Um, 
because it helped me see that my experience wasn't the whole of the church with a capital C. It was my local church in my local context. And so I actually found like these resources in the historic, rich, broad tradition of the church with a capital C. I found in the, those the resources necessary to, to address my questions and to give me hope about Christian community. Um, mm. And so I think like what you're doing and your channel, guys, is a big part of exposing people to a world outside of their narrow tribe, which I think is a necessary step. Because I do think, here's one thing, you guys tell me if I'm wrong with this. I, I get a sense from like, from Gen Z, from Gen Z to use the international <laughs> term, I get a sense that they compared to previous generations out of any previous generation, they could care less about like denominational lines. Unless you go like hardcore, like Eastern Orthodox or Roman Catholic, I've seen a little bit of that sort of like, we've got it and everyone else has got it wrong. But by and large part, I, I don't see anybody trying to prop up a denomination. I think what I've experienced is people going like, if I find it here, if I find it there, if I find it in some, you know, hodgepodge of all of these traditions, then, uh, then great. But I don't know, mm. maybe, maybe I'm wrong in that. No, I think I would say that's, uh, accurate. Um, uh, to some extent or another, it reflects a, uh, what may obviously is not going to be unique to, but is an attribute of, uh, Gen Z, a kind of, uh create it yourself spirituality um where you can take from take a little piece here take a little piece mm -hmm. there um and outside of the realm of you know organized religion um that could really look like absolutely anything but within the context of organized religion um i suppose could also just be like um, myself for example taking from this, that, and the other uh, denomination, uh, trying to test which one you might find is true or which one you might find is experientially um, vitalizing and going for it. Yeah, that, that's a good way of putting it. It's, it's not doing the continuation of DIY spirituality, which is like, here, we're just going to pick olive cart. And there, there is there's a danger to that. I'm glad you brought that up because what we can end up doing is essentially making a, making a religion in our own image, you know, and there's, there's real danger to that. And there's a danger to never getting plugged into an actual human community that presents you with perspectives that you go and personalities, people's personalities that you find abrasive, but perspectives, you might go, I don't know if I agree with you on this. And we just simply kind of like double down into our echo chambers. I think that's a real thing, but I also think, uh, here's a great book I recommend, um, the Streams of Living Water by Richard Foster. So if you know your viewers and listeners have never heard of that, check that out. And he talks about, uh, I think, five or six different streams that he would see as um, modeled in the ministry of Jesus that we can also celebrate in the life of the church historic. So he talks about the charismatic stream, um, the evangelical stream, the contemplative stream. And so these aren't based on like denominational lines, they're more on like value emphases. And in that you might find yourself, you know, I, again, I come from a charismatic tradition, but as I looked back, I went, I actually think the things that I found in the charismatic tradition that I really, really, really resonated with me were actually probably more from the contemplative 
And that's maybe the thing that I've retained. I can also look at it and go, boy, I don't, I personally, I'm, I, uh, in my ministry, I'm not, um, I don't feel personally called to daily work with the homeless. You know, I think we have a call to do those sorts of things, but those that carry that call, I need to support because I can't do all of these. And so in that way, I think there's a, there's a, a healthy sort of, um, what can we take from the different streams and, and go, I want to celebrate this and affirm this and bring this in to my own walk in a way that I go, here's some strengths and weaknesses I have. I think to me, that's different than the DIY spirituality, especially if at the end you actually are able to find a community, like a real life face-to-face community that you can get plugged into. And that's hard. I I just, I have to confess that's, it's very, that's practically the hard part. And I don't know where you, both of you are at on, on that in your own church process, but that's, that's difficult. And it might, it's probably going to take some young leaders to actually build new structures for that sort of stuff to be contained in a way that's like, Hey, we really have this healthy sense of we're not doing tribalism. We're not doing my team versus your team. We're actually holding with open hands, the sense of like the church and the broad historic Christian tradition has given us all these beneficial things. And we're trying to hold all of them here. You guys might have to build the structures for them. I'm not saying you particularly, but um, if you don't see them, there's, there's a, there's an absence of them. I'm not saying they're gone, but um, hmm. you know, it's but hard, it's hard be, to but find. It would be nice. It would be nice. Now, one of the things I might say practically is like, if you find a place and you're like, I'm not wild about the preaching, not saying it's like bad preaching as in terrible, toxic theology, but if it's like, I don't know if the preaching here is, if you have genuine Christian community there and a sense of mission there outside of Sunday morning, there might be some things that you might have to kind of like taper down your expectations for, because you've grown up with unlimited access to podcasts, YouTube, you know, if you want to go on and listen to an NT Wright lecture, you can do that. And there's chances, chances are your local pastor isn't going to be able to compete with NT Wright. It just isn't. So there might have to be some sort of trade-off here where you're like, ah, the preaching's not, again, I'm not talking about like heresy or really damaging things being said, but you're just like, yeah, it was all right. Yeah, but it could be, it could be a mild snooze. Yeah, it could be a mild snooze, but you know what was awesome? The potluck that we had after church. That's that's what you can't get from a podcast. No. You know, that's what you actually have to get from real life Christian community. You know what you can't duplicate again is like getting together with other Christians that might have like different political perspectives and you're actually in community together. You can't just get that from listening to a podcast and watching YouTube. You have to get it in real life community. So maybe there's some trade-offs. Maybe the music isn't great. I that's what I'm talking about. And like, if you have this like utopian vision of the church, it's going to be really difficult to find a place for you to plug in. Um, if there's nothing around you that isn't preaching, like whatever, you know, you pick your side on the culture war, whatever it might be. And if you step in the church and you're like, Oh, this is, this is just making Jesus a mascot for this culture wars team. If you'd have nothing but those kinds of churches around you, I'm sorry. That's, that's really difficult. If you have, if you can get away from that and it's just like, 
yeah, the preaching isn't great. Uh, but there's a lot of different kinds of people here. Like we got old people. We got some people on the left. We got some people on the political right. They have Jesus as the center set and they're trying to work it out. And they have good potlucks. I keep coming back to the potlucks, but that's a big deal. Eating together is hey, a big yo, deal. potlucks, man. Yeah, uh, got to do, do good church potlucks. That's what, the, that's what the early church was. Just That's potlucks. right. And you guys can get content anywhere. Like, don't come to church for content. It's not a content factory. Yeah. You know? I do think you're right. And I do think that um, one thing that our generation probably would need to do is engage with that uh, trade-off. And I'm happy enough to can, you know, to concede that, you know, life isn't all comfy and roses. Um, unfortunately, living on the internet with uh, uh, absolute and permanent access to uh, content all the time uh, might convince you, at least psychologically, not necessarily uh, intentionally, might convince you that life is all comfy and roses, uh, at least in the respect to, what am I quoting saying? With the constant uh, barrage of content, you might think, not intentionally, that if something is boring, then it's not worth engaging with. And unfortunately, it might just have to be that one trades off the potential to experience boredom, uh, or at least the potential to experience that which is not constantly comfortable, in order to receive in return something that we are sorely lacking on the internet. Um, and that is uh, physical community. Unfortunately, all the internet can do is provide us with senses of parasocial community, which convinces us that maybe this is enough, but in all reality is remarkably empty uh, in comparison to real life community. Wow. Um, that's profound. That's that. Um, hey, Jake, you th- uh, either any thoughts or you want to move on to the next question? Um, I'll just say so. Uh, Paul set up uh, sets up the next question. I think maybe we'll. Yeah, I think so. Um, I'll say something real quick and just that. Uh, my attitude that I've reached is definitely in the way that earlier you were describing how a generation takes the antithesis from another generation and and how like. Typically, it comes off as a combative antithesis. It's it's um it's a more of like a violent reaction, and so as a Christian, when the church, when I, when a generation above me, um has this thesis, and I wanted I want to have the same reaction, but I realize that I cannot have the same reaction because it'll do the same things that are happening outside of the church, or even the things that are happening within the church, um as as you've seen with you know like generations combating each other on hierarchy and hierarchical values. And so I, I had to like calm myself down and be like, okay, what's, what's a way that I can integrate this antithesis, but put it in a way to where I can still be in the same room with these people and not want to leave. Um, And so you do have to get, you have to kind of put yourself, yourself aside for that. Um, And it's something that is deeply Christ-like, um, which is hard. I'm, I'm going to admit it is hard, but it's necessary. It's necessary for your faith and for the faith of others. Yeah. Um, and for, for any progress to be seen. Yeah. That's beautifully said. And I don't want to give any, anybody the impression that any of this is easy. It's just not, 
It's not. And it's nuanced. It's more art than science too. Like trying to figure off that trade-off, whether, you know, what you're talking about Hunter with like the trade-off of values and picking a church or picking your battles as to like, how much do I really need to stand for this thing that, especially in relationship to parents or in a church context, the older generation that might be in your church and you're trying to navigate, like, we want these values to stand out. And we maybe even, you know, I think, well, let's just take, take one practical example is like, you know, the, let's take my generation compared to my parents' generation boomers. There was definitely a, a sense in among their generation, especially if you were white and, you know, middle America, Midwest, that, um, you know, it was the church's job to do things like uphold the values of America. So that would find itself in like having an American flag at the front of your sanctuary without even thinking about it, you know, or starting your Christian school day by saying the Pledge of Allegiance. And so my generation has started to think about, and Gen Z has, has started to critique as the antithesis to that going, well, this has probably also led to things like, like nationalism, um, the sort of like ceremonial deism that we have, that we can't conflate the difference. Some people can't tell the difference between when they get goosebumps in worship to when they get goosebumps when they hear the American, you know, the national anthem played before an NFL football game. They can't tell that difference. And so part of what you're talking about, Jake, is like, all right, how would I navigate that in the context of community with my parents or with people in a in the church that's in a previous generation that is like okay, we have got to draw some hard boundaries. So here's one that I had to discern when I entered into my church context in a leadership role was like, okay, when we have like, uh, you know, the 4th of July and it lands on a Sunday, is there an expectation here that we're going to do some sort of like patriotic thing? If it is, I can't, I can't rock with that. I just can't. To me, it's idolatry. I just can't do it. Um, it looks like maybe some challenging conversations about, um, I'll give you one as a practical example, really, really good guy in our church. Um, it was like veterans veterans day, or I don't know, some sort of national civic holiday having to do with war. America has a lot of those. <laughs> and, you know, um, he, you know, he brought out the American flag to put in front, front of the sanctuary and uh, really well-intentioned. I love this guy. Right. I don't, and this is the key. I like, I don't see him as evil. I don't, I don't see him as the opposite team. I just go, oh man, he's of a generation where this was normal. And I had to, ex- I had to explain to him, which was weird. Cause I was, I was younger than him, but I was in the leadership position to go, we're not going to do that. Um, if you wanted to though, like if you felt like today, cause we do have some veterans here, if you feel like bringing the American flag out into the foyer someplace this week, I, we can talk about that, but we're not going to have it in the front of our sanctuary in worship. So that's the sort of stuff that's difficult because that's my antithesis to the prior prior generation's thesis. And it's hard for them to see it. And mm. I actually think not just because I'm saying it, I think by and large part, my generation is in the right and your generation is in the right on this stuff and going, no, we're not going to have these allegiances to empire happening in Christian worship. But how do I do that in a way that respects that? Like, like my dad's dad and my mom's dad, both fought against Nazis. <laughs> so I have to understand why they feel a sense of like, oh, we want to preserve that because we were, we were always, we were the good guys that defeated the Nazis and God was on our side. So I understand how they get there. But navigating those conversations, it's hard. Yeah. There's not a blueprint. And you have sure. to just do so with like 
humility, charity, and you're probably going to get some stuff wrong. I don't know. Um, but hopefully you have grace for each other in the process. Well, I hope you found today's episode helpful and meaningful in some way. I'd love to hear from you in the discussion forum on my Patreon page. And for those of you that have gotten connected at even the $2 level, there's a few slots left at that $2 level. There's also access to our Deep Talks Discord server. We can connect and have conversations about what you learned, what you agreed with, what you disagreed with as well. I'd love to hear all of it. Special thanks to Clint, Jesse, Alex, BJ, Daniel, Dave, Eli, Elise, Garth, Jesse, John Mark, Johnny, Josie, Justin, Kirk, Lola, Luke, Matthew, Michael Hernstein, Paul Reese, Rob, and Sam P. Thank you all for your support. I can't do this work without you. Again, make sure to check out the bonus Q&A episode for this conversation, as well as the video of this interview, available again only to supporters on Patreon. Well, again, I look forward to hearing your feedbacks and comments on this episode, or maybe there's been another episode you've been listening to over the holidays or some time off. Maybe you've had some road trips. Maybe you had some long layovers waiting in an airport and you went back and listened to a previous series. I'd love to hear from you. Again, you can connect with me on Patreon, but if you're not connected over there, you can also reach out to me on Twitter or you can find me on Instagram at Paul Ann Leitner. I love hearing feedback, whether it's questions, respectful disagreements, it's all good. (laughs) Uh, Right now I'm talking into a microphone by myself in my office and this is way less fun um, if you don't reach back out and connect and share with me your thoughts. So until next time, we'll talk again soon.